0: right wow um yeah so um what, matthew four seventeen. 17 um, from that time jesus began to preach and say repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand he announced uh the arrival of the kingdom of heaven now we know that the kingdom of god had always been josh has been teaching us that but he announced the arrival of the kingdom of heaven on planet earth in human form and as he began to uh, undertake his ministry his public ministry uh, from the age of about 30 uh, this is how he began to explain uh, and teach what the kingdom of heaven is like and we have this record of what is expected of those who become followers who become disciples Uh, is uh, obviously the word that we're increasingly familiar with if we weren't already And as you, I trust, have have read through the passages, as we've studied them together and looked at them together, you might have spotted that there are some repeating phrases, some themes um, throughout. So he talks regularly about the kingdom of heaven. He talks about your father in heaven. And he talks about a reward in heaven. And I would suggest the nature of the rewards is what is presented at the beginning of chapter 5. So, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's the reward. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. That's the reward. So, it all links back to that. So, when you see the reward in heaven, I would suggest that takes you back to those, those, passage, those blessings, if you like. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. So, we see those phrases... And uh, Josh, as I say, has given us a fresh insight of those. If you missed that, then that's all available to watch on on the Bethel or website. And also, we have understood that Jesus' teaching, um, both then and now, is countercultural. It remains countercultural. It was countercultural then. It's countercultural now. It's subversive. It's revolutionary in a good way, of course. And much of it, I would suggest, can be characterised by don't be like that, be like this. And because some of the don't be like that um, is linked to uh, some of the, the, uh, the passages or, or verses that are taken from the Old Testament or linked to the Old Testament we can be mistakenly thinking that jesus is actually throwing out the old covenant to bring in the new covenant or bringing out throwing out the the old teaching if you like but it's quite clear uh because jesus said he came to fulfill the law and the prophets that he wasn't overthrowing that he wasn't uh if you like um throwing that out but in fact he came to fulfill In fact, as Liz reminded us last week when she was leading worship, when she read from Deuteronomy 30, the heart of the matter has always been the matter of the heart. It was never about outward observance. It was never about ritual. It was always about what the heart was like. Um, Deuteronomy 30, verse 14. If I just quickly turn to that, just to... um Just to illustrate what I was, in case you weren't with us last week, when Liz read that passage. So Deuteronomy 30. Bear with me, I'll get there. Deuteronomy 30 verse 14. And this is quoted by Paul in Romans 10, verse 8. But the word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may do it. That was true then. That was true in first century Palestine. That is true now. It remains the case. And yet, in first century Palestine, when Jesus began his ministry, what had intended to be a matter of the heart had become. Uh, a set of um, ritual and rules, a matter of outward piety. And that is what the, these people um, that Jesus was teaching observed. That's what they saw. That's what they saw from the religious rulers of their day. So, as I say, this Sunday, uh, me and for next Sunday, Gareth, we're going to be looking at the subject of prayer. We're going to do a slight jump from where Josh finished. Uh, last week uh, and although i'll read it we won't be actually studying chapter 6 verses 1 to 4 but i'm going to read that passage in a moment and we're going to read through to about verse 13 but we're going to be looking the subject for this morning is the lord's prayer or perhaps as you'll see it should be called the disciples prayer now just uh, you'll recall that you may recall anyway that Josh mentioned last week that the passage that we looked at last week on going the second mile is probably one of the most well-known passages uh, in, in this in this series but I would suggest this one kind of trumps it because everybody throughout the UK by and large I would suggest at some time or whether it's a school or wherever has encountered the Lord's Prayer and will have said it or recited it in some situation um whether uh they they meant the words they were saying or not um so what i would say is we're going to look at some very familiar words but don't switch off um stay with me and hopefully uh, this morning you you'll gain some fresh uh, insight and understanding that the lord will speak to you this morning as 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 we uh as, as, as we look at this passage so let's let's pray let's um commit this time to the Lord and then I'll, I'll read the passage father God as we look at these familiar words this morning as we look at words that um, we may have recited um from from when we were just uh, mere babes or toddlers father God I just pray Lord that you would just help us to understand what you are wanting to communicate to us this morning father god through um perhaps the inadequacies of the uh of, of the words that i speak father god i just pray lord that you will just communicate something fresh from yourself um to each one of us i pray so lord be with us this morning i pray this in your name amen okay so let's read Ma- matthew 6 i'm going to read from the new king james version um you probably have on the screen uh, in in the uh, uh, NIV but it's it's the same it's the same in in essence so it's chapter 6 verse 1 take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them otherwise you have no reward from your father in heaven therefore when you do a charitable deed do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. that They may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will himself reward you openly. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have the reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do for they think they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy, your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then and New King James Version goes on to say, uh, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Okay. So, as I say this morning, we'll be focusing on verses essentially five to ten. So Jesus' teaching leading up to the Lord's Prayer and the first part of the Lord's Prayer. As you read, as you followed as I was reading, did you see the pattern I was alluding to just a few moments ago? We had the, in in both um, 6, 1 to 4, and in 5 to 9, we had the, don't be like that, be like this. He talked about your Father in heaven... And he talked about reward in heaven or reward from your father so that pattern was present in in, in both the, the the passage on charitable giving and in the passage about prayer leading up to the lord's prayer itself i su- i would suggest that because of teaching or the culture we've grown up in we might struggle to associate being a follower of jesus with reward we might think in terms of it's all about sacrificial giving and of course there is sacrificial giving we might always think in terms of putting others first and we are required to put others first we are called to take up our cross and yet jesus is quite clear here that there is a reward for those who follow jesus and it reminds me uh, when we think about that of the passage in hebrews about faith in hebrews 11:6, it says i won't try and quote it because i'll probably get it slightly wrong but without faith it is impossible to please, please him that is god for he who comes to god must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him so the characteristics of the key in being follower of jesus is that we obviously must believe that he exists and josh has been reminding us and asking that challenging question um, about the nature of belief but also the element of reward is there he rewards those who diligently seek him are you diligently seeking the lord this morning and in your life And if you are, what sort of reward motivates you? We're all motivated by reward, we know that. Um, In some shape or form, whether we admit it or not, we are motivated by reward. But what sort of reward motivates you? Is it earthly reward? Is it recognition by others? Is it praise from those we socialize with or work with? Maybe in today's world, rewarded by social media recognition and as long as we keep using our phone we're counting likes and things like that because that's our sense of reward as i've already just mentioned the verse in hebrews takes us back to the questions that josh has been posing after the over the last couple of weeks do you believe that god exists god is real do you know him it's not just believing in the existence of god but it's also having an awareness and appreciation for and knowing God as your Lord and Saviour. And what does that mean? Do you know him? Well, we'll unpack that perhaps a little bit more as we we go. The words we've just read uh, in the Lord's Prayer are those just familiar words to which we give mental assent, but we don't allow them to shape our lives. Or do we read and allow it to shape our lives, to uh to have an impact in the way that we live. Are we just effectively living Christian, Christianity from Sunday to Sunday, or are we shaping our Monday to Saturday around uh that which we understand and believe? So, to say this morning we're gonna be looking at prayer. Now, prayer was not a new concept. To those who heard Jesus that day, the the if you like, the real hearers, the people that were present on that hillside. Prayer for many of them, and certainly for the devout Jew, was an integral part of their daily routine. Although I would suggest in a somewhat liturgical sense. We've heard again recently um, about the Shema. I remember Josh when we were over the road in the park. Uh, was teaching us about the Shema, which is taken from Deuteronomy, uh, but also some other passages as well, um, and, and put together to create that prayer. And that, that prayer um, was prayed morning and evening. In addition to that, the devout Jew would pray three specific times in the day. So he had his Shema morning and evening, got up to the Shema, went to bed to the Shema. But also he prayed, this is the devout Jew. Three specific times of the day: 9 a.m., or as they would know it as the third hour, the sixth hour (12 noon), and the ninth hour (3 p.m.). And you may recall, uh, in, in uh, the early part of Acts, uh, Peter, uh, when he encountered um, the, the 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 beggar at the gate of the temple, was going up at the hour of prayer. That was the 3 p.m. prayer. And the devout Jew, those three times of the day, wouldn't just pray one prayer, believe it or not. They would pray 18 prayers. 18 prayers three times a day. Not that they were necessarily long prayers. They had varying lengths. But they would pray those prayers three times a day. And I'm going to give you some examples um, uh, of, of what that prayer looked like. But as I go through that, you'll see that essentially these were in somewhat nationalistic sentiments seeking god's favor on them as a people at the expense of their enemies bearing in mind their current situation as it was then in a roman occupied state so these are some examples from the from the uh, what was known as the shimona ezra i think that's probably pronounced completely wrong but that's my best attempt so these are just a few these aren't actually the prayers but this is kind of the content of of, of some of the prayers so vouchsafe unto us knowledge understanding and intelligence wisdom isn't present in that lead us back to thy Torah bring us near to thy service cause us to return forgive us although not linked to the forgiveness of others so as you'll see next week I'm sure how forgiveness in jesus teaching is linked to forgiveness of others look on our affliction fight our fights redeem us speedily heal us from all our wounds bless us this year and all of its yield so again an agricultural society very much dependent on god's blessing uh, you, you might think back to uh, Deuteronomy and the blessings and curses blow the trumpet for our liberation gather our exiles restore our judges establish our innocence May no hope be left to the slanderers. May all thine enemies be cut off. Return to Jerusalem. Build her speedily. Their their, um, adherence to God, uh, Jehovah, was based around the the, the temple cult, the the, the worship through the temple. And and Jerusalem is the centre of that. And as you will be aware, just from time to time watching the news, that situation hasn't changed um, even today. Cause the horn of David to sprout and bring victorious salvation, and, and, and so on. That just gives you a little bit of a, three times a day, they were, they were praying this liturgical prayer, or set of prayers. And because it was at three times in the day, the Jew, the devout Jew, if he wasn't able to be in the temple, was expected to basically just stop whatever he was doing and recite these prayers. And I would suggest that gave the opportunity for those so minded to actually plan where that might happen. And that kind of brings some sense to the, the words that we've read where he says, and when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the street that they may be seen by men. So three o'clock in the afternoon, you're out doing your shopping, you're in Coventry town center, oh, three o'clock, and then you adopt a position of prayer right in the middle uh, head bowed hands raised uh, palms upwards that sort of thing and recite the prayers and that's the, the 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 sense of the hypocrisy of it that it wasn't to God at all it was about look at me I'm a devout Jew But Jesus doesn't only tackle the hypocritical practices of the Jewish religious hierarchy. He also exposes the futility of the pagans. Um, I think in, in the New King James Version it has the word heathen. You would have read pagans. Uh, the, the word essentially meant the non-Jew. So those who are Gentiles, those who are heathen, those um, from, from other cultures so the sense there is that it wasn't only that the jews who prayed but in fact all cultures prayed and and that was very much so at that time there was a general sense that there was a supreme being somewhere the sense of an atheistic uh, mentality didn't really exist at that time and they all prayed for uh, whether it was appeasing um, the bad god or the good god or what have you the agricultural god the fertility god they were praying for something and they would speak long-winded prayers in the hope that that would favour or bring favour and, and, and reward. And uh, within the Bible, perhaps you might be reminded of um, the passage in, in uh, 1 Kings uh, when Elijah was taunting the prophets of Baal as they prayed all morning for God, well, their God to bring fire. They prayed empty praises on and on and on. In vain, and of course, uh, Jesus' first hearers probably would have been aware of um, how that the emperor or, of, of Rome would have been addressed. And again, I mean, I probably could have quoted that, but that would have taken me over the hour, so I'm sparing you that. But um, the long salutations given to the Roman Empire emperors, who were given an almost uh, godlike status, um, and So everybody at that time would have been praying for some kind of favourable outcome or change or or maintaining a a favourable situation in their life, whether in fertility, agriculture, success in battle, success in business, safety in travel. And perhaps I would suggest in some ways things aren't so very different today. People are still seeking favour. People are still seeking... um, blessing in on their lives and they will go to various places to various situations um to 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 get that um in in perhaps a, a new age setting perhaps but certainly in our atheistic uh western materialistic culture perhaps i say things are not so very different so prayer in one sense is not unique to christians Most, most if not all, religions engage in some sort of prayer to some sort of greater power. Some with specific times, specific liturgy at set hours of the day. The the Muslim, I would suggest, would fall into that category. And some adopt a meditative approach as they try to seek some kind of uh, sense of karma or or, or oneness um, with a deity. And even as Christians, prayer can be a challenging subject, can't it? Um, I'm very much aware that sometimes we're, we're in a situation where we're sort of all chatting away and then, right, let's stop and let's pray now. And then there's silence as because it, it, it's not so easy for us, uh, perhaps, to pray. Josh recalled last week, growing up in an environment where he's told to read your Bible and pray, but not... Really shown how to do it. So, what is what is prayer? That's one of the questions I'm asking this morning. What is prayer? Is it asking God for something that you want, and then becoming disillusioned when your request doesn't appear to be answered? Did you grow up, or are you growing up, in in a cultural setting where some form of liturgical prayer was used, maybe as some form of appeasement of a remote, distant supreme being? or that's maybe how it seemed? Or have you experienced of attending prayer meetings where long, elaborate prayers were seen as good prayers to emulate? Ecclesiastes 5.2 reminds us to let our words be few when we're talking to God. Thank you, Frank. The Lord's Prayer, as it has been labelled, as I've already said, is one of the most widely used and widely known pieces of liturgy, including by many of those who don't count themselves to be followers of Jesus. But was it intended to be used this way? So let's look at the passage in a little bit more. So as we, look through the, as we look through the passage, you'll see that God is referred to as your father, as our father. A concept with which we are, in this church at least, very familiar. Perhaps, or definitely not so familiar to Jesus' first hearers. They would have been familiar within the uh, uh, Jewish culture and the Jewish religion, Judaism, with God being addressed as God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, God of our fathers. Throughout the Old Testament, you will see that God is referred to as a father, but never addressed as father. They would have grown up in a temple cult, setting in which God was seen as distant, as remote, whose favor could only be sought through the priests. So rather than just praying directly to God, it was through a priestly system, no direct access. Reminds me a little bit of what I've, I have learnt um, way back of, of, of our own history. Uh, at a time when the church, all the services were conducted in Latin. Because they, they didn't want the people, this is going back quite some time. Didn't want the people to have direct access to God. Didn't want them to have direct understanding. They, they, the, uh, the, 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 those um, leaders of the church at that time... Wanted to control things in a, in a way to prevent people having the Bible in their own language, and uh, uh, and it's, it's wonderful that um, um, we were hearing only last week uh, of, of of two young people who want to follow in the footsteps of Wycliffe. I think that's wonderful, um, and and continue to provide to, to to people who don't as yet have the the Bible in their own language. Um, so. Yeah, that I think is a a wonderful thing. So, this is not how God intended it to be. Again, reminds us of Deuteronomy 30. For them, this simple statement in verse 6a of a God, of a father in heaven that could be directly accessed was radical. Through prayer in their own room, not having to go to the temple with the door closed. Perhaps for us, the radical bit isn't so much shutting the door as when we enter into time of prayer to tone the phone off or put it on silent or even leave the phone in the locked room. It's worth thinking about, isn't it? So the question that has to be asked is what sort of a father is in heaven? And I would suggest that for us, that's heavily influenced, highly influenced by our own experience of father. So when we, we talk about a father in heaven, we immediately think of a picture of what a father is like. And of course, that is, as is, I is say, is influenced, is shaped by our own father. What sort of father did we have? Did we have a father that was absent? Did we have a father that was always engrossed in work? Maybe a disciplinarian with no time for play? Or did we have a father that was great fun to play with, but when it came to the tricky times, wasn't able to provide that direction that we needed? Or maybe at various times and in various situations, uh, a combination of some of those traits. In the parable of the prodigal son, which I would suggest is as much about the Father in heaven as it is about the Son, Jesus gives us a picture of what God as Father is like, a Father that is always looking to bring the Son back, a Father that loves, that is passionate, that is always seeking uh, the Son to come back and to celebrate his return. The question this morning of course is is god your father it's not a guarantee in terms of it's not automatic god is not automatically your father just because you've got christian parents or because you go to church you need to have your own relationship with god and that that is what we're looking at this morning the second important point that i think is worth noting before we actually get to the content of the prayer and we're nearly there you'll be pleased to know, um, is in verse 8. Therefore do not be like them, for your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. This clearly is not a remote, disinterested, uncaring God. This is a father that cares about every aspect of your life. And doesn't require a long explanation about what we need or why we need it. And certainly doesn't need a justification along the lines of, if you do this for me, I'll do that for you. You I'll I'll go to church, I'll give my tenth, just please get me out of this hole or what have you. That's not the sort of relationship that we're looking for, or God's looking for with us. Jesus then introducing the prayer says in verse 9, <clears throat> this then is how you should pray. He doesn't say, this is what I want you to pray three times a day on your knees facing Jerusalem. He is decentralizing the relationship with God from Jerusalem focused prayer that the, the Jew would have known, uh, that I was just uh, illustrating, to one that is at any time, in any place, in any situation, not for public effects but to build relationships with God. This, to me at least, suggests this is not intended as pure liturgy, to repeat it before meals or whatever, but a pattern for prayer. So let's look at the first part. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Next week, Gareth will look at the, the us phrases. If you like, so I've just been looking at the uh, you, your that the phrases are centered around God, using uh, adjectives like you or your and you. And next week it'll be about us and we. And as we look to those, they're effectively fall into two. Uh, two elements if you like our father in heaven hallowed be your name followed by your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven often in hebrew thought, a first thought is often balanced by a second or in other situations is amplified by a second i think we have them both here so firstly you read our father in heaven hallowed be your name The first stanza tells of a God that although unseen in heaven is approached, he's our father. We can directly communicate with him. He's interested in us. He cares for us. The word translated father is one that is the same as used for a parent. Uh, You'll be aware that elsewhere we have instances where father is directly linked to Abba, the Aramaic word for daddy. And therefore we've become familiar with that. He is our father. He is our daddy. Uh, and there is no hierarchy. We come collectively. Um, there is no hierarchy in terms of through the priest, but it's between us and God. There's no exclusivity. He's not my father. And not, he's our father, all who believe and trust in him for salvation. We are required to come together to him in unity And on the same level. But before we get too much of a sense that God is a, dare I say, a sugar daddy. We need to read the second phrase or the second stanza. Hallowed be your name. You may recall, or probably not, I would guess, that when I last did this sermon slot back at Easter, I spoke about how in Hebrew or Jewish name, a name wasn't just a label it's characteristic of the person it it, the person is shaped by their name or the name characterizes their, their 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 nature their stature their situation their person i should say really and that is very much true of god so when we read hallowed be your name we need to understand that everything that god is and is represented needs to be revered and reverenced. So God is our father, but he's also God supreme. The word hallowed comes from the root word, I believe meaning or understand meaning different or separate. So in other words, it could be translated or or transliterated perhaps. Uh, Let God's name be treated differently from all other names. God is creator. God is sustainer. He holds the whole world in the palm of his hand. Yes he is our father but he is still almighty God. Kingdoms come kingdoms go in accordance with his will and foreknowledge. Josh has reminded us that God is completely other. God is not like us. So these two lines tell us that on one sense, and this is a paradox, which, with, which we need to live and rest, God is knowable. God is completely knowable. He is our Father. But in another sense, God is completely unknowable. God is beyond our understanding, beyond our imagination. He is completely other. In a way, it reminds me of the opening lines of the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, I am the Lord, your God. That's the knowable God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He was their redeemer, their saviour, the knowable God. But that was followed immediately by, you shall have no other gods before me. That he was to be reverenced; he was to be revered. He was not to be treated lightly. So if we therefore have the balancing of the, the first with the second, Then we come to the next bit, in which I would suggest the second bit is actually an amplification of the first. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The first line is explained and developed by the second and third. We know that God's kingdom is from everlasting to everlasting, we see that in the Old Testament scriptures. When Jesus said, as we read earlier from Matthew four seventeen, the kingdom of heaven is at hand or has come near, as I said, he was proclaimed the arrival of the kingdom in human form on planet Earth, but the kingdom had always been there. So, and bear with me, we are we are moving towards the end now. What are we praying for when we pray in accordance with these words? I would suggest that each of us individually are submitting to the rule and reign of God in our lives and situations. God is sovereign. He rule and he reigns. He has no equal. There are two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. Or as John puts it so eloquently in his gospel, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. But these are not equal kingdoms. This is not duality. No, this is not yin and yang. But we have a choice. We have a choice to live according to our own agenda, my will be done, or to live in submission to his rule and reign, your will be done. We need to pray that his will is done in us and through us here on earth. In that sense, this is what we're praying. Thy kingdom come. His kingdom to intervene, to come on a daily basis. It's the kingdom of the heart and will, thinking back to Deuteronomy. And also in Ezekiel that Josh has reminded us. Ezekiel 36:26. if you want to look it up in your own time. Not in a sense of defeat or resignation, but in submission and love. And trust knowing that his way is best even when it doesn't make sense because we know that he is god and we are not i also think there's a second sense in which we should pray in accordance with these words and that is perhaps more outward looking so we pray it for ourselves that we may know his rule and reign in our lives and that we live according to his will But we know that God is rules and he reigns and is sovereign over all. And yet he came to this earth to gather a people to himself that has no geographic location, no national identity. That is not of this world, but of all people, tribes and tongues. We are therefore praying that through us, his kingdom will come, that it will advance. Question is, do we have a desire A passion to see those we meet work with spend leisure time with become disciples as well become followers of jesus are we interested in it for ourselves or do we have a passion to see others become followers so in closing how do we wrap this up three questions really i just want to pose firstly i've asked these already just really sort of summing it up firstly is god your father Have you submitted to his rule and reign not as i said earlier in defeat and resignation but in love and trust of his will as your lord as your savior as your redeemer that's question number one to think about question number two do you spend time in prayer with him on your own with the door closed or all distractions switched off or with others Not to demonstrate what you know or how many words and phrases or clever theology you can come up with to describe god but simply to spend time in his presence getting to know him and his will for your life of course we have the prayer room and that's a great place to come and spend time with the lord and i would would encourage its use either on your own as a way of just getting away from because obviously when we pray at home sometimes we are surrounded with stuff that needs doing and so on sometimes it's just good to get away from that and and, and therefore the prayer room can be very helpful in just spending time that uh, is 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 uh, with god and without distraction and also of course with other people and again josh has suggested that we find someone to journey with someone to spend time with someone to Uh, encourage and be encouraged by and again it's probably worth thinking about that and the third and final question is do you desire to see the advancement of his kingdom in your life and situation whatever and whatever that may be Do you pray for and desire to see him work through you to bring others into his kingdom and become disciples and followers of jesus let's pray Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it has much to teach us, Lord. And Father God, we know that prayer is like air. Father God, it, it, prayer is, is, is how we live, how we need to grow. Father God, to spend time with you, to learn from you, to allow you to speak to us. Prayer is not asking. just spending time in your presence father god i just pray lord that you will help us to do that help us to learn how to pray in accordance with the pattern that you gave your disciples all those years ago lord so father god i thank you for this time and lord i just pray lord that you will just plant something in each of our lives today pray this in your name amen